The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Alex Ewell, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for our latest update on tech stocks. I'm joined by my colleague, Tay Kim, who covers tech for us with a focus on the very hot world of semiconductors, along with video games, social media, and other areas. We're back in the middle of tech earnings season, and for the first time in a while, it feels like there's actually some overall optimism about the results. The cloud might be holding up a bit better than expected. Digital advertising might not be quite as bad as feared. And meanwhile, any improvement that we see in revenue is becoming more impactful on profits as tech companies continue to cut costs. So sure enough, and sure enough, the NASDAQ this week is leading the way. It's up almost 2% today alone. So welcome, Tay. My, uh, my first question for you is, are we back to the good old days of tech leading the market higher and have the fears of the last 12 to 18 months receded? I don't think we're there yet, Alex. It's good to be here, first of all. Um, it, it's true that the expectations have come down a lot and companies aren't kind of doing a free fall off the cliff where they're coming below expectations and lower guidance, uh, especially for the big tech names. I think we saw with uh, Meta, Microsoft, uh, this week, and also Alphabet, that they're slightly beating and they're kind of raising versus uh, the current consensus, which is no doubt a good thing. Um, but if you look at the actual absolute numbers, they aren't that great. I mean, Meta grew sales at 3% year over year. Uh, Microsoft uh, grew sales at 7% year over year. And Alphabet, um, well, similar to Meta, only 3%. So this isn't the double-digit sales growth, uh, heady days that we're used to. And I, I have questions about, um, you know, investor sentiment has really swung toward where they get all excited about these uh, better profits. But the primary driver behind these profits are layoffs, right, like right. wave after wave layoffs and cost cutting. And you only get that benefit once. Um, and if you kind of take a step back and think about it, like why are they cutting costs and laying off tons of people? it probably means their visibility on future growth and business trends isn't that great. So yeah. I, I wouldn't get too excited. And I, okay, no, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess one thing we should think about is, so you have these newly efficient tech companies, at, at least that, that that's how they would like to describe it. What does that mean for their ability to get that growth from the three to five to 7% you mentioned back to the days of 20%, presumably a smaller, um, more efficient company, you know, nice, maybe nice for the bottom line during slower times, but it, it presumably has a long-term impact on their ability to grow, right? I, I de definitely think so. I mean, the PR stance they would take is that they'll be more nimble because there's less bureaucracy yeah. and less uh, they could move faster. But I mean, realistically, if you cut your sales force a certain amount, that means your ultimate upside gets limited. Um, Right. Less people means you have less capacity. To, I mean, take Twitter, for instance. 
uh, he kind of slashed and burned the employee base and a lot of advertisers complaining that they don't have sales reps to uh, interact and reach anymore. So it does kind of limit your growth over the intermediate term. Okay. And I, I also don't want to understate like what's been going on uh, on a macro front. Uh, we've had uh, the 10-year interest 10 year yield, the interest rate, which is kind of gravity for tech stock multiples, have come down a lot. The Fed's been kind of goosing liquidity in the markets. Ironically, the, the banking crisis, which has you know brought a lot of economic fears, uh, is helping uh, a lot of these technology companies because it, it makes the multiples better as the rates go lower. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um... I wanted. I think one of the things. So, so I mentioned the cloud. Uh, at least so far that we've seen from from mostly Microsoft, the growth was still hanging in and maybe not as bad as feared. We'll hear a lot more about the cloud from from the largest public cloud player in Amazon later today. Uh, one of the things, though, that our colleague Eric Savitz pointed out, it was it was one or two weeks ago that uh, you know I thought it was a really important point in his tech column that maybe hasn't been fully digested by investors was that there's some thought now that we may be further along in this uh, cloud adoption cycle than we previously thought. And, and, and that that may be part of the reason for, for the overall slowdown. And of course, for several years now, the, the move to the cloud has seemed like an endless opportunity. But if in fact, we're further along in the adoption and say 50% of the work out there has already moved to the cloud, or I think in Eric's case, he said in some cases it was closer to 70 or 80%. That's actually a pretty big deal um, and, and could be problematic. Yes, I, I'm, I'm less certain about exactly where you are. I don't think we really know, but I think the reason why the, the cloud growth rates have really kind of decelerated and, and Microsoft, I think, grew their cloud business by 27%. It's kind of in line what they uh, guided to three months ago. Yeah. Um, a part of it is just a lot of the kind of heady, like future growth projects people are cutting because, you know, those projects are very early in the process. So they don't have um, uh, profits per se anywhere in the near term. So a lot of companies are kind of cutting their R&D and uh, cutting off a lot of the, the growth stuff that's very nascent. So I, I think that's part of the reason why we'll see with Amazon after it closed and Microsoft uh, earlier this week that a lot of the kind of the smaller growth oriented projects ha have been uh, shuttered okay. because they don't generate uh, profits right now. And profits are king uh, when growth slows down and uh, people are really uh, looking to go, go into the bunkers. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's been fascinating to learn about the cloud is it got a lot of credit. This, this, this ability to scale up your work in the cloud, you know, you didn't have to, companies didn't have to buy servers and, and, and rent data center space. They could just kind of dial up how much computing they use at AWS or Microsoft Azure. Um, that was really a boon as, as all these companies were growing. But we're now seeing the flip side of that too, right? Where as easy as it was to turn it up, you can also just as easily turn it down. And I think that's what we're seeing as, as, as the economy slows down, as demand slows, the benefit of the cloud is also now becoming, you know, a little bit of a, of a downside for these companies too. Exactly. Like business transaction activity goes up. They, you know, buy more server capacity, but it also works on the other way down. Yeah. And so it turns out the cloud is actually pretty cyclical, right? Which is maybe un unfamiliar to the, to the tech, the tech world. Mm -hmm. Especially uh, for, for, for the sector, which has undergrown so much growth over the last few years. Right. Okay. Um, all right, so let's um, 
we can talk maybe a little bit more about the earnings still to come later. But let's uh, let's talk about the other really big news of this week, and, and maybe the most surprising thing, which was yesterday. Um, we found out that the UK's competition regulator had had decided that they were going to block Microsoft's purchase of Activision, Activision Blizzard. This was that $69 billion deal, probably the largest, by most metrics, the largest tech deal ever, um, right? And it has now been blocked by in the UK. So tell us how important is that? I mean, the UK is just one country in a very large world where, where, where Microsoft and Activision play. So is this the end of the line for the deal? Does it still have a point? Does it still have a potential of closing at this point? I think there's a pulse, but it's a very, very light pulse, okay. to put it in health terms. Uh, the thing about this whole process, it's it's been so unpredictable. Like I always say, like with politicians and politics and regu- regulatory agencies, it's almost impossible to predict because some of it is so arbitrary. And what the CMA, the antitrust agency in the UK did is they initially, uh, everyone thought Call of Duty was the problem. And they took that off the table a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Yeah, and the so, stock went up. Activity. Yeah, the stock like ramped like crazy because before that, people thought the CMA was a big impediment to a deal. And the main problem people thought was you know, the power of Call of Duty, which has been the best-selling game every year, almost every year for the last decade which which so, in the, in, to folks in w- w- if this deal went through the worry was that activision blizzard uh which owned call of duty would become almost exclusive to microsoft and, and it would be removed from every other video game platform out there that was a worry but microsoft like vowed that they would keep it multi-platform and then sony was like well even if we do that we're scared that you'll make a worse version of call of duty for playstation Versus Microsoft Xbox, so so that was the big argument back and forth. But then CMA came out and said, "Well, we don't have any problems with Call of Duty anymore, and we're just going to focus on the cloud gaming part." And Got then it. I would say the the probability among experts and analysts thought, "Oh, okay, it went from like 50 percent chance of going through, or maybe sixty percent, to like ninety percent plus." So this this action earlier this week was shocking because uh, the cloud gaming market is not very small at all. But what the CMA did was saying that if Microsoft was allowed to buy Activision Blizzard, um, there might be less innovation in the cloud game game market many, many years from now. So this, this was a shocker. This okay. was a big surprise. Just to clarify, the cloud gaming market as of now is still small, but but right? Is that what yeah, it's microscopic. Like there's hardly any tell us like when we talk about quote cloud game the cloud gaming market, what does that even mean? So so right now there there's like three ways you really play games. It's on a video game console, like a PlayStation or Xbox, where you buy a game either through physical disc or you download it digitally, and you're playing off that local hardware console um, that everyone knows of, like Nintendo growing up. From the 1980s, basically, you know? Yes, yes. And that model is still the dominant model. Um, There's also playing games on your mobile phone. Um, So the, the cloud gaming is this theoretical market that has every few years, everyone says it's going to take over the world, but it never takes over the world because there's technical issues about like slowdown and latency and graphics. So basically cloud game is instead of having that hardware, uh, like right in front of your TV, you're playing off servers, um, like in the data center, like think, think Netflix, like streaming video. This is like you're streaming gameplay, but technically it's a lot harder than Netflix. So Netflix that you're streaming, a you know, one, form of video, there's no interaction. Yeah. With video games, you're constantly inputting stuff onto your controller. 
So it, it technically it's a lot harder. And, and, and every few years, people bad. think that yeah. it's going to take over the uh, video game market. It never does. Okay. So that's why it's so surprising. Like you, you're kind of blocking this deal for this theoretical market, maybe five, 10 years from now. And that's why the proponents of this deal are so upset because this is kind of like a theoretical market share thing about years from now versus the Call of Duty thing, which is a much more tangible thing because it's the number one game in the market. Got it. Okay. So that is really interesting. And then um, the one other question I have though is, you know, the UK is presumably not a huge part of the global video game market. So you now have this smaller regulator basically stepping in and saying to the rest of the world, sorry, but, but we're going to be, the, we're going to block this. I mean, that, that's pretty fascinating to me. They've effectively vetoed this deal for, for everyone else. Yes. I, I think the UK is the second largest kind of uh, market country-wise following the U.S. I okay. mean, putting aside China, which is its own thing, but I think in, in the Western world, it. it's the second largest. But it's only still like 7 to 10% of the overall market, so it's not like a huge market. But I think uh, the problem with the U.K. is that they're, uh, the CMA is very powerful. So although Microsoft and Activision could appeal this, um, like people are saying that it's very hard to be, it has to be a process like CMA had to do, do something irrational. Um, their actual like thinking behind it, as long as, you know, thesis is sound, uh, it looks like it, it's not going to pass. But yes, like EK, UK is a small percent of the overall market, but I don't think Microsoft or Activision wants to give up, you know, seven, 10% of the market. Right. Um, okay. Right. So it, theoretically they could say, well, we just won't operate in the UK, but that that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. You, you, it's just, it's not worth it. And of course the and, US. And, and the, the other problem is people will follow the UK. Like the EU still has to act on it. The, the, the U S antitrust, you know, they already, I think sued with the in-house FTC court. So it's not just the UK, but UK was thought as like the primary roadblock. And then if, the UK pass it, the other um, other agencies in the world would fall in line. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's not just the UK. The, the, yeah. the rest of the world would follow the, uh, the CMA, I think. Okay. Let's, um, let's just quickly talk about what this means for some. There are some other, you know, uh, big, big names in the, in the video game, gaming world. There's Electronic Arts. There's Sony. Uh, Electronic Arts fell to yesterday, uh, presumably because maybe any kind of deal making in this area is now dead at least for a while what do you what do you think this means for overall? so, so i i think you know part of the bull case for the big publishers like activision and ea and maybe take two was that there was this takeout premium that if microsoft was allowed to buy activision then all the other publishers would be in play and maybe sony would buy a big publisher or you know one of the big tech companies would buy a publisher. so i think that's off the table if this deal doesn't happen so i think it'll be hard for like apple or amazon to buy EA or Activision, right, uh, right. maybe they they want to, but like there's just they just don't want to go through the regulatory hassle, like uh, after they saw Microsoft fail. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't get overly pessimistic because these the re there's a reason why all these companies want to buy these big publishers because the gaming market is like one of the few large uh, markets in technology and media that's growing you know, potentially double digits for a long period of time, as far as I can, I can see. So I think even without this takeout premium uh, option, like Activision, EA, I, I, we've talked about Sony in the past, uh, it's, it's still a very attractive uh, future growth market and attractive for the stocks. 
Okay. And, and one thing I didn't mention was Activision, even if they don't get bought by Microsoft, they've really turned around the business over the last year. Um, we're, uh, they, what, a funny thing, they were supposed to report after it closed today, but after the, the CMA news came out, they, they pre-announced their earnings for the March quarter later, that, later yesterday morning, and they were unbelievable. It was like they blew out numbers. Uh, their core franchises are doing very well. Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2 has been their best-selling Call of Duty ever. Um, they did, added expansions to World of Warcraft that had upside, and Diablo 4, which is another one of their most important franchises, uh, is slated to come out in June. Uh, I played uh, the beta. It looks like it's going to be another huge home run. So on a standalone basis, like Activision, EA, Sony, like they're doing great. That, yeah, and that's a really fascinating part of this, that a year, what, a year into this deal, uh, Activision's managed to, to hold its own. Um, and, and, and I think another reason why these companies are so attractive is that they have some of the most under-monetized uh, intellectual properties. Like in a world where people are looking for franchises, like all these companies have these video game characters yeah. that they've built up brand equity for decades that they're just starting to monetize. And it's, it's really showing um, with The Last of Us, uh, with the HBO show, which is a Sony property. Um, Nintendo, which is looks like their movie is going to hit a billion dollars and is breaking tons of records. It really shows the staying power and the power of these brands. And the video game companies and um, other media companies are realizing, wow, like they're, like people really love these characters. And um, the funny thing about Nintendo is like they literally kind of make the same game over and over again every four or five years. Mm-hmm. And every time they do, like it sells more copies. Like some of the, like the Zelda is coming out in June. I think the last Zelda game sold like 29 million copies. Animal Crossing, like they have like like a half dozen amazing characters and, and the power, like the monetary power to like monetize these things is just going higher and higher. Um, and EA, you know, has the same thing. And Activision Blizzard, like I said, with uh, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Diablo, like these, these are franchises that are going to be able to be, are basically gold mines for the for the next five, ten, fifteen years. So we should and, expect we should expect a Call of Duty ga- uh, movie somewhat uh, in the not too distant future, is what you're telling us, probably. Um, <laughs> I don't know about Call of Duty, but like there'll be much more. Uh, already, like Sony a- a- announced, like half dozen. Um, movies and TV shows uh, for for their properties. Okay. Um, yeah. So we're going to see a lot more video game properties uh, on, yeah. on the TV screen and uh, really monetized in the coming years. All right. Well, I have not seen the new Super Mario movie yet, but uh, but I have a feeling uh, my kids will will force me to soon. So um, I'll let you know how it is. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's move on to talk about another one of your favorite topics, which is semiconductors and chips. Uh, Intel reports later today. I know you'll be covering that. Um, before we talk about, about Intel, give us kind of the lay of the land overall for where we are. Um, and, and, and I also just want to remind people to uh, to ask questions and we will try to get to them. Um, but uh, before we do that, yeah, so give us sort of your thoughts on, um, on the overall chip um, backdrop right now. So we talked about the big tech names like Alphabet, Meta, and Microsoft, and their sales growth has really slowed, but at least they're still, you know, growing or flatline, like flat year over year. And, um, you know, cloud computing has slowed, but they're still growing at, at a decent rate. Uh, and, you know, their 
those big tech companies are aren't like like I said aren't falling off a cliff in terms of reporting stuff that's much worse than consensus expectations. Um, that isn't the case with chip the chip companies and chip stocks. And even though they've been missing and guiding lower for many quarters now, it still keeps getting worse. And it looks like it's going to keep getting worse. So the, the demand environment for, for semiconductors and IT hardware is kind of like, it, it is falling off a cliff. And uh, that's a problem. <laughs> when, you know, when you're, you know, Samsung, I think, reported profits down 95%. Uh, we'll talk about Intel in a bit, but like, like Intel used to dominate and have monopoly on making computer processors and analysts are looking for them to actually lose money this quarter. Uh, the big kind of signals and data points we had over the last week, uh, CDW, which is a big uh, reseller of IT hardware computers to co corporations, they pre-announced a big miss last week, citing a sharp slowdown in corporate IT spending, and they brought down their full year guidance uh, for the IT market. Uh, IDC came out with their uh, March quarter uh, PC unit sales. Uh, it's down like 29%. This is after it was down 28% and down in teens in the prior quarter. So it, demand is deteriorating. I have this like funny story about Micro Center, which is like a local retailer of uh, computer parts and yep, computers. Yep. I literally a few weeks ago, um, my son's uh, laptop broke down. So we're in the market for a computer. I saw, wow, that Micro Center has this uh, ThinkPad that's like 33% off and ThinkPads are usually high-end laptops. Yeah. So I went to the store, you know, bought the ThinkPad and the manager came up, it was a ghost town by the way, which is, makes that's me right. really sad because I love Micro Center. I, I do too. Yeah. The, the manager was profusely thanking me uh, for my business. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just buying a laptop that you, you cut the price up by, by, by a third. Yeah. Um, same thing is happening with graphics cards. Like I, I, I want about. I, I feel like I'm the only one that's that buying stuff at Micro Center. I just bought a new graphics card, and I asked the, the the manager. This is this is another visit, and he said like usually when Nvidia comes out with a new graphics card, they sell hundreds of cards. Um, okay. Their latest graphics card, they sold five the first day. And I was like, that's not good, is it? And he's like, no. And he had this like distraught look on his face. Wow. So this is really bad PC demand environment, technology, chip environment. It's probably the worst I've ever seen. And I, I don't think people are really kind of digesting how bad it is. And I, I've we've written about why it's bad. It's because people bought ahead during the pandemic. They bought computers, laptops, webcams. And the problem is if you buy, you know, a lot of lap laptops, computers, uh, and things. These are things that you hold on for at least three to four years before you need to replace it. Yeah. So we had this like massive pull forward in demand in the computer hardware space, and it's kind of like hitting. Everything's getting hit right now. Just another another strange change in the kind of the post uh, post pandemic or reopening uh, buying trends, right? It's yeah. Yeah. And, and we're seeing it like, like Seagate, which makes hard drives, also pre, like had, had terrible numbers last week. Texas Instruments earlier this week uh, cut guidance again, uh, and the stock has really sold off the last few days. So, and then we have Intel after uh, close today, which you know, Intel has been really suffering. Like their revenues have already come down huge. Uh, they're suffering from the weak PC market, which we just discussed, and their chips, both on the server and client side are really uh, inferior to their main competitors, advanced micro devices, AMD's chips. 
So they're losing on making competitive chips, and they're also getting hit by the market. So we'll see how they report after the close, but Intel's in, in, in a tough tough uh, environment right now. You're not ready to call. Intel, by the way, the stock's down, been cut in half over the last three years. It's rallied a little this year, but a lot less than, than other tech names. You're not ready to call a bottom necessarily for Intel yet? No, not not, not at all. I mean, it might bounce. I, it actually bounced, I think, because they announced a bunch of layoffs and cost cutting. But the problem is that there really isn't any turnaround in sight. And to, to have a turnaround, you need the market to get better or they, they have to put out chips that are better than competition. And it, I don't see anything in the immediate future where both both either or will happen. Okay. All right. Um, you let's let's go on to another favorite topic, uh, at least of, of readers, I'd say, which is AI and ChatGPT. You've been a skeptic in recent months. We've spent a lot of time talking about it. Um, Anything in the last month or from earnings so far that's sort of changed your mind about where we are with generative AI or, or chat in general and, and where we're headed? Are you less of a skeptic these days? No, like I, I just, I mean, the only thing the companies have really said is they like to use the buzzword a lot in their conference calls. But like, as we've, and there's a structural flaw with this technology where it's more like a text generation machine where you know, ingest all the data and text on the internet, and then using that and the word patterns, the statistical analysis, they try to predict the next word. So like these companies are exaggerating the, the thinking and intelligence capabilities of this technology, when in reality, it's kind of like an, a text generation machine. It's, it, it tries to predict the next word based on all the patterns that are read on the internet. And obviously, if you think about that structure, if it's just doing that from all the stuff that's written on the internet, you know, there are a lot of problems with the, the stuff on the internet in terms of inaccuracy, bias, and all that stuff. So when, when you ask it a question, like ask it a question about something that you know of, yeah. and you'll see that it's the answers. When you ask a question about a topic you don't know of, it, it generates something that's very confident and plausible and sounds smart. But when I ask you questions about tech or semiconductors or video games, the, the answers are just riddled with like inaccuracies and made up facts and narratives. So it's almost like this novelty like machine that's fun. But when the companies say it's going to, you know, come out with like great ideas and it has this great, great intelligence and it's going to give you plans. And then, then you see the answers and they're still filled with errors. Like, I just, I just don't see how they're going to make money off of it. I mean, right. we, we, we've been through this whole process where we went through Web3, Enterprise, Metaverse, and all that stuff. But how are these companies going to make money off this? Are they going to be able to charge more for their products? So, like, these are all kind of fun, like, tools and add-ons. And, and I don't want to, like, bash the whole thing. Like, it, it's definitely helpful for grammar checking and writing tedious code where it'll give you like great advice by uh, kind of regurgitating all the answers that are out there that's already written. But in terms of like generating new stuff, I, I just have, I don't see how they make money. And yeah. Microsoft is willing to spend, you know, $10 billion kind of funding chat, chat open AI's technology. And they're probably losing hundreds of millions of dollars every few weeks uh, providing for free for the most part. But like, if you're a competitor or a startup, like, how do you compete with Microsoft willing to, you know, spend billions on this? I just, 
I think that's the next big thing where people realize where, how you do make money, what's the ROI, uh, does this really add value to consumers and users uh, versus the, the mass computing power you're using uh, to, to generate these answers. So yeah. these are all questions that we'll look at. Uh, and, you, and you gave me you gave me an idea. Maybe reader, uh, our listeners can even try this. But maybe one way to kind of test the hype here is everyone should go to ChatGPT and ask it the topic and question that they know the you know the, that they're an expert in that they know the most about that maybe is most related to their occupation, for instance, and and see how well it does versus. Um, how it does on things that that you don't know as, as much about, and, uh, that and, would be and, and, and what time. yes, and what you'll find is that it'll plagiarize and regurgitate what's on Wikipedia and Britannica. I, I'm not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> when you ask a question about a topic, you'll find that most of the time it regurgitates what's on Wikipedia and Britannica. And okay. is, is that worth you know, you know, all that computing power that's being used? I, you know, I, I doubt it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we had a story recently up on how much water that uh, that ChatGPT is now taking up, given given what it the uh, resources it takes from data centers, and that was a, that was another interesting one that that ChatGPT is uh, is now uh, using more water than we uh, we might have expected. Yeah, and we just came out of this like crypto Web three cycle where everyone hyped its capabilities, but then like you know, what's the end use case? And you're using up a ton of energy and computing power. How you make money off this? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, we got a few questions uh, about uh, Nvidia. It's a it's a company you know well. Um, both uh, Neil and Eric have questions here um, about uh, about Nvidia. It's come off this period where it was doing really well around uh, crypto mining. For one, um, that's sort of somewhat gone away. Now they're talking more and more about AI. So is AI enough to refuel the growth at NVIDIA, do you think? The stock is on fire. Um, it's up 83% this year alone uh, after, after its, big, uh, its big decline. So where does NVIDIA stand right now, do you think? So the, the main reason why NVIDIA is up is the excitement over the AI stuff. So their chips are used. Uh, I think Google may have their own chips, but most of the other companies like Microsoft and OpenAI use NVIDIA's chips. So, so the question here is, their, their, their gaming business is still in the shambles, um, which is used to be about half their business. Uh, the last quarter, sales were down 46%. And that's and, what you were talking about with the, with the graphics cards at Microsoft. Yes, so, and I don't think that that has improved uh, this quarter and next quarter. So I, they're ga put gaming aside, um, and we talked about in the past how the price performance of this cycle is not Good compared to prior cycles, they have all these high price points that gamers are kind of revolting. Mm -hmm. So the gaming business is not good. So the question is the AI stuff, and people are really, you know, excited about AI. There, like the Wall Street analysts, even though like there's, there's no doubt that you know this quarter, next quarter, that their AI business will will uptick on, on this hype. Um, Microsoft and OpenAI, but it's not going to be a huge, huge number. Um, and you have to look out six, seven quarters that our company is going to be able to make money off it. So, so that's my big question. And I would just be skeptical because these analysts like are putting out 20, 30 targets like for NVIDIA right. based on generative AI, like $100 billion market, you know, tens of billions of dollars by 20, 2027. 
and a lot of this is still very early days and that, that that's a lot of assumptions underneath that companies are going to find ways to make money off this um which you know as i just talked about i'm, I'm skeptical that okay. there's going to be profitable business models so Yes, I think you make a really good point that when you start seeing models built on and, and estimates being built on growth out five, 10 years, it's always it's always a good reason to be somewhat skeptical. And, and we just came out of like two, three, like NVIDIA actually went through two crypto cycles where right, right. You know, they said crypto is going to be great and it's going to be a huge thing. And they did it twice, like in the last like five, seven years. Yeah, like crypto went through these two, two up cycles. And NVIDIA was playing on both. Um, NVIDIA has been very optimistic about the metaverse, the enterprise metaverse, and, and that kind of whimpered out. So we just have to take things with a grain of salt when, you know, when companies get really uh, hyped up over the next kind of buzzword cycle. Yeah. Okay, um, good. I have another uh, question for you. You probably, you know, I know you don't cover Apple necessarily day to day, but Nicholas asks, um, uh, and Apple, I'll point out, is the only one of the big tech companies that won't have reported earnings this week. They are reporting a little later this year. I think it's next Thursday uh, or sometime next week. So anyway, Nicholas asked, do you foresee Apple earnings coming in lower considering its dependence on consumers versus the other big tech players who are more reliant on large corporate customers? So kind of a, a question about Apple's consumer business versus other big tech's uh, corporate business. Is that... Should that be it? Um, I, I don't know if that's the dichotomy that we should focus on. I, I do think Apple's earnings uh, are going to be pressured in the short term, but compare like it's all relative. Like, sure, compared sure. to other companies, I think investors like Warren Buffett is a huge Apple investor are going to kind of look through this and say, "I'm sure Apple is going to be fine five, ten years from now because you know I'm stuck on the iPhone. We spend." you know, five, eight hours a day, most, a lot of kids and teenagers and, you know, millennials are on their iPhones all day. Yeah. So I, I think there's just a, a much higher probability compared to other tech companies that might get disrupted that the iPhone is going to be, you know, bigger uh, as a, uh, as a revenue base a few years from now. And they might look through, I mean, there's no doubt that Mac sales are down Yep. Uh, huge. Yep. Uh, the IDC came out with a terrible number for Mac sales in, in the first quarter. Um, there's no doubt iPhone will, might, might, might get hit as consumer spending rolls over. But I think more so than other companies, people are willing to overlook that because they know the staying power of the iPhone uh, is stronger. Um, but I mean, the stock is not cheap. Like, yeah. I don't know what the latest number is, but I think it's over 20 times. And yeah, I, I just think investors will have will be less likely to blow out Apple shares uh, compared to other companies because they're more confident in their, uh, their competitive moat going yep. forward. No, it makes a lot of sense. But their hold, their stranglehold on consumers. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, um, Tay, thank you so much. It's actually all the time we have for today, but uh, thanks for being here, Tay, and thanks to our listeners for, for tuning in. And uh, join us again tomorrow. Um, our colleagues at Investors Business Daily will be here, and they're going to be talking about some of the biggest stock market winners of recent years and what you can see in those trends to find the next batch of, of winning stocks. Um, so thanks so much for being here and uh, have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.